Hi, I'm Pastor Jason, one of the elders here at Lighthouse. Um, my wife Amy, we've been married for 22 years now. So I was like 10 and she was like 9 when we got married. <laughs> so you can do the math. <laughs> um, but I, I, uh, I got married in my late 20s, so I uh, was single for a while. Yeah. Um, anything else? And we, we haven't been dating since like the 1900s, literally. So it's been a while for us. But we'll, so if you have questions about what it's like to be married after 22 years, we might be able to help you with that. So, yeah. Cool. I'm Amy, and I'm married to him um, for 22 years. <laughs> you did all the introduction. Yeah. <laughs> Two kids, one in college and one senior, going off to college. So emptiness. For four-ish years, I am the other single person on this panel. <laughs> sharing so um, yeah just a quick additional note um, these people to my left are really faithful in their love for the church and love for um, God and his word and um, the reason they've been asked is not just also their their uh, season of life that they're currently in but for example Sean serves faithfully in various ministries he attended branch which is our young adult ministry for singles 30 plus Randy and Steph are actually on core staff at Praxis, um, same with Jen. So this is also just a, another way in which you are exposed to the leadership here. And then um, Pastor Jason, one of the elders, and so he uh, is a leadership uh, on that level. Um, one caveat before we jump into our Q&A. So we're going to be sharing from our experiences, insights, um, and God has provided the body of Christ, the community, to leverage and use as a resource. Um, but the tricky thing with dating is that unless it's explicitly addressed in Scripture, a lot of what we will be sharing is maybe just sound advice. And so we always want to, as Christians, turn to the Word of God, measure everything according to what's laid out there um, for final authority. Okay? Um, but... This is, um, yeah, just a motivation for all of us to be students of the word. And yet at the same time, God has provided us uh, a family in which we can lean upon, learn from. We need brothers and sisters who are maybe just one step ahead of us or who are in uh, the current trenches we're at um, that we can gain from their advice and their counsel. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and just uh, dive in. So uh, one of the questions that... Um, was kind of commonly submitted was, uh, in, in regards to singleness, um, what have you struggled with and what has been helpful in this time? How can we steward singleness now um, for the glory of God? everyone can share, but as someone who is currently single, um, yeah, I think a lot of things. Um, it's also been different in my different seasons of singleness, so now I've been in the workforce um, for also about four years. Um, in college, singleness was different than now, which was different than as like a student. Um, I think personally, things that 
I've struggled with in singleness are also just things I've struggled with in general. So, um, right, contentment in Christ. So do I see gifts that God gives me as better than the giver of those gifts? I think relationships can easily become one of those gifts that is easy to idolize. Um, comparison. So am I so busy looking at myself or those around me that I lose sight of Christ um, and who he is and who he's called me and what he said of me to be true? Um, yeah, I could go on and on. I'm like a horrible sinner, y'all. You'll, you'll, you'll know. Um, I think things that have been helpful are a right view of God as like kind of trite as that can kind of come across. Um, I think ultimately the answer to pretty much every struggle I've struggled with in my singleness has been a right view of God. So um, if it's comparison that I'm struggling with, one, like take my eyes off of myself and look at Christ. Um, one, he's beautiful to behold, much more beautiful than myself. Um, but also it gives me a right perspective of who I am, of who he's called me, um, and of who all these people around me that I'm busy comparing myself to are in light of him versus in light of their relationship status or their relationship to me or the potential for a relationship or any of those other questions. Um, yeah, I'm just going to stop talking because there's a lot of us. Um, I think for me, I've definitely struggled with um, loneliness and um, contentment as well. Um, as a single, like when you see, at least for me, when I would see other people like start dating and then get married, um, I think for a while my heart was just kind of like bitterness, like like why why am I still single? Why am I not you know moving on with my life, or why am I not you know having these um, these experiences or all that? Um, but I think what was helpful for me was to be reminded to like not look inwardly, but look outwardly. Um, so not look at myself, not look at my situation, but kind of um, look how I can serve others and serve God. Um, so I think that's kind of why like I, I enjoy serving. Um, that kind of helps me to focus. Like that's a tangible thing where it's like me serving is not serving myself, it's serving others and serving God. Um, so I think just being reminded not to like just look at myself, but look at others and think of others more highly than myself. Anyone else? I'll just add to um, the, the struggles that you experience in singleness can still be just as um, present uh, when you're married. So discontentment, uh, uh, loneliness, those things will uh, be issues um, in, in married life. They will just take on different manifestations. And so part of uh, yeah, just growing in godliness now it will pay dividends in whatever station of life you're in. Um, following up with that question, so uh, knowing that discontentment and feelings of loneliness is a common battle when uh, you're single, how have uh, you guys found community or fought for contentment as relationships change? You know, as you see friends getting married or those uh, relational dynamics altering, a feeling like the pool isn't shrinking as you get older. What verses, truths, or uh, just practices have encouraged you uh, during this season or trial?
Well, I think um, the church is really meant to be called uh, a community, a family. And so one hope is that no matter what season of life you're in, that you're, you're fellowshipping and interacting. I think that's what, how it, we're, we're supposed to be. Um, I think when I was single, I didn't take advantage of that enough in the church I was in, and I hung out just with singles. I didn't even know anybody over 30. Um, and one of the blessed things in this church, I think, is there is a lot of opportunity for that. And so that's one thing is even if your friends move on to different stages, I encourage you to continue to hang out. And, you know, as a church, we should probably push that more and foster that more um, and remind our, our married folks uh, to kind of include, you know, all walks of life. And I think as singles, you can kind of, um, you know, be proactive and just, you know, can I watch your kids? Can I help you with this? And just kind of stay involved in, in, uh, in folks' lives who are, have moved on to maybe different seasons. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it takes a whole church to do it. Um, but from a singles perspective, maybe just kind of being intentional about pursuing those type of relationships. I think for me, it also, again, it goes back to serving. I'm not trying to push the <laughs> serving thing, but I think when you serve in other ministries, um, you're more visible to other people, right? Like if you, I'm not saying this is everybody, but if you just serve in praxis, you're just going to see praxis people. But if you serve in like children's ministry or you'll see the parents there, or if you serve in connections, you'll see people coming up. Um, and then at least for me, that was helpful because then people would see me and they're like, what's your story? I'm like, what do you mean? What's my story? <laughs> um, but, you know, they get to know you, right? They get to see that you're invested in this church and they, you know, they're also invested in this church and um, just being, like Jason said, being intentional, like um, either they'll reach out to you or you'll be like, hey, can I come over and like have dinner with your family or can I, um, can I watch your kids, like Jason said. Um, so I think just being a part of the church body, just not, you know, with other singles and I mean, it's not just here. I mean, I, I think the same problems in Branch. I think the same problems in um, in Beacon as well, probably, where it's just we tend to just hang out with people in our own um, stage of life. But um, we should feel like we should be a part of the entire church body. I think adding <clears throat> adding to that, you know, in this question, when I had read it, um, you know, I think there is definitely an undercurrent of like that pain, right? That this question really draws from, which is like, there is a reality that there is a element of, or a feeling of loss, right? Whether it be as your friendships change, as you feel left behind, as you see your hopes not fulfilled. And, you know, I think one of the things uh, in terms of just help for myself as I, you know, spent almost all my twenties uh, as a single was, um, the pain that you feel isn't bad. Um, the pain that you feel reveals something, and this sounds very lighthousey, but it really does reveal like what is the fundamental that you're hoping in, um, and that's why it hurts so much. And so it caused me to really look at like, why do I have friendships? Is this friendship for me or for this for the other? Right? And as we look uh, at what is causing or driving the pain that allows for a greater understanding of who we are. And then very much to what Alan said, that as we begin seeing that right truth, as we begin seeing Christ more or better through that, um, through the pain and through the intentionality of that consideration, it then allows us to build a foundation that whether or not you stay single and continue to develop friendships and, and maneuver, maneuver through that, those ups and downs, or whether you get married, 
um, you will have a foundation that is built upon a truth that is stable. And so regardless of what the other does, uh, whether it be a spouse or a friend, whether that shifts or changes, you can still have a, a bedrock upon which to stand. And so I would like, I think it, behind this question, I would just really encourage like, don't avoid the pain, um, but really consider what that pain is really saying and what Christ is trying to show through it. Yeah, I think kind of piggybacking off of Randy, um, I think anyone who's single and desires marriage has probably had some well-intentioned person come up to you and quote Psalm 37.4 at you, which says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And you just kind of smile at him and you're like, thanks. (laughs) Um, But I think in that quoting of scripture, there's like a fundamental misunderstanding of what the verse says. Um, And I think it kind of comes back to this idea of um, what is our heart delighting in? Um, Because delight will produce desire, right? So the verse doesn't say like, be happy in God and he'll give you the husband or wife that you want and the perfect career that you want and the perfect house that you want. Um, That's not actually what the verse says. Um, but I think it can be really painful as someone who is in a season of singleness or longing for anything. I think it kind of like goes across the board, but this feeling of, God, I want this thing and you're not giving it to me. Is it because I'm not loving you right? I'm not desiring you enough. I'm not delighting in you enough. Um, like, how do I fix this problem so that you give me the thing that I want? Um, But the reality is that's not really the right question. Um, So I think something I've, like, clung to is, like, a little, like, reminder every time some well-intentioned auntie or family member (laughs) comes up and is just like, you know, God will give you the desires of your heart. Um, It's just kind of reframing for myself this reality of delighting myself in the Lord means that he will be the ultimate desire of my heart. That's what I want. That's what I'm going to be pursuing. That's what will give me comfort. And whether that looks like Sean said, um, delighting myself in the Lord. So I want to be a part of the local church body and um, be involved and be serving. Or like Jason said, reaching out to other parts of this body of Christ that's so much bigger than other singles or um, whatever the practical realities of that are. And there are a lot. And if you're sitting there thinking, this sounds really holy and I would love actual practical things, talk to any of us after or your small group leader. Um, But I think for me, it's been really comforting to remember that God doesn't just tell me to be happy. And when I don't get what I want, it's because I'm not doing it right. Or I'm not distracted or like not looking. Like, oh, when you stop looking, then like the person will come. Or all of these like really well-intentioned, really horrible things that people say to us. (laughs) Um, The reality is like when we look to scripture, even misquoted scripture, it's the word of God. So there's so much hope there and there's so much truth there. Um, so take the time to realize this person is probably coming from a good place, have grace for them, but also read the scripture. Like God's word is so fruitful and so rich and has so much to offer. Yeah. Thanks. No, that's so helpful, right? Like right delighting in the Lord will then shape our right desires, even our uh, pursuits of things like relationship. Um, can I add that real quick? Yeah. I think it's important to understand, too, that um, ultimately God's created us to have this desire for intimacy with him, this perfect relationship with him. 
broken now, um, but marriage is meant to be a picture of the gospel. It's meant to be an earthly experience of that intimacy. So it is right for people to desire marriage and desire that type of intimacy. So it's not like you need to suppress that desire and say, well, this is wrong. I can't think that. It's a natural desire we ought to have that God's given us, but it can't be a demand. God's going to fulfill that in his time. And for some people, you know, it doesn't, he doesn't give that, yet we all have Christ. So um, just to help me put a framework on that desire, it's not a wrong desire. It's not something we have to, you know, push to the side. It's, it's a natural desire that God's given us for intimacy. So. Thanks. Um, so we talked about how, you know, we're created for a relationship, and maybe the mistake is we think that it's fulfilled only in marriage. But we see that God has designed the church to be a family. So even if we aren't married um, or if we do get married, we see we have all these other relationships and connections within the church. How do we cultivate healthy f- friendships, relationships between singles, dating, married individuals, and then maybe to piggyback off of that, how do we do this in a way that uh, is with honor and integrity so that we don't send the wrong messages to say like the opposite gender um, if we're not romantically interested? I'll quickly answer, well, not the wrong (laughs) 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 intention. I'll I'll leave that for these people, but just... (laughs) Practically, relationship-wise, I guess, um, even kind of piggybacking on the last question, I think practically, I don't think the friendship should change just because you get your friend got married. I think always you're going to need, with all these relationships, I think you have to be really uh, intentional and proactive. And when somebody gets married, they might be, of course, a little bit more busy because now they have to take care of the house and have a husband or whatever. But I don't think that that person necessarily doesn't want to be friends with single people. So, like, I got married kind of young when I was kind of young. So um, I think I really appreciated my uh, friends who still stuck around and wanted to hang out with me even though I was married. And then I also enjoyed time, spending time with them. So I think hopefully, like, our friendships don't change just because, you know, you could get married off and you're gone. Um, and just like you want to be intentional with those, keeping those relationships, I think it's kind of the same way when Alan said, you have to be really proactive and intentional about getting to know other people in the church and also people who are um, maybe in a different season of life. And I think it really takes kind of getting yourself out of that comfort zone and reaching out and being proactive. I think uh, the, the church family, again, is it, it's meant for men and women to be in relationship and to be encouraging one another. Like the one another's aren't meant just for guys and guys and girls and girls. It's, there's no gender specificness to the one another's, right? We're supposed to all encourage one another, exhort one another, care for one another. Um, so that should be happening throughout the church family, whether you're married, whether you're single, uh, throughout. I think the the problem is sometimes we can get too conservative and we can go to one extreme where it's like, I'm not going to talk to the opposite gender. I don't want to give them the wrong idea, right? Um, and you see some, some, some ladies and, and guys in singles groups who will kind of be like that, right? Be very cautious. 
And then even married guys might do that, where like, I'm never going to talk to another woman. With, you know, I, there ought to be this kind of fellowship and encouragement going on in the right context and the right healthy way. Um, the other extreme is when people uh, get too intimate uh, when they shouldn't. You know, you, they kind of cross the boundaries. Um, so there should be a healthy kind of in the middle friendship between men and women. And that should, like Amy said, it shouldn't change if someone gets married. That should be the same type of friendship even if someone were to get married, right? You shouldn't have to back off from something. Um, and I think if we can foster those type of friendships and relationships between men and women, I think it'll be such a blessing for the whole church family. Yeah, I think kind of picking back up that, like we are called to care for each other as brother and sister. And so um, just seeking to care for one another, like intentionally and lovingly, not like, um, I guess, isolating or like treating one person differently. And like, if you treat everyone equally, then um, hopefully they don't get the wrong message. And it's like, you're just seeking to care for everybody in general. And so I guess, um, yeah, I agree. I think it shouldn't just be like, I'll only hang out with my sisters because then I don't want to get something wrong. If you just treat everyone like a person and like care for them, seek to serve them, ask about their lives, I think that will just be a way to cultivate relationships that are intentional and caring and being able to serve each other well. Good, good. Um, no, really helpful stuff. Let's shift gears a little and move transition from uh, singleness to uh, considering about dating. So for those that desire to date or marry eventually one day, what are practical steps they could be taking now? What should they be doing now to prepare for that? Um, I mean, I feel like we've kind of addressed a lot of it already, but in your singleness, the, the shift between singleness and dating isn't like you're a different person, uh, which I think we can often subconsciously maybe believe, but it's like the habits you built as a single transfer into, into dating, the truths you believed as a single, the habits, the patterns of thinking, the, the, the way you approach the word and problems and tr all transfer over. And so as you build habits as a single that honor and glorify Christ, the better you will do um, as someone who is dating. And so like, I think as a kind of broader overarching framework is, I think it's easy to see singleness as a waiting period. And I know Alan talked about this during the sermon, but um, rather than seeing it as, as a kind of waiting period, is are you orienting every element of your life to honor Christ? And if that's the case, then when you move into dating, you will provide, you know, f follow that same mindset into dating. And then the way you approach dating will be along that same thought process. And so I would just say, like, is your life oriented towards Christ as a single? The more you do that in an intentional, specific way in, in the various elements of your life, that habit of thinking will then directly transfer into dating. And I think that's the best way you can prepare, frankly. Yeah, I mean, single you is in some ways dating you, and dating you is in a lot of ways married you, right? So um, where in marriage, we see there is a narrowing and heightening 
of the responsibility to lead in love. Um, marriage is not the relationship that creates leading in love. We're called to lead in love um, regardless if we have a spouse or not. And same thing goes with uh, submission, that even all of us now are called to submit in various contexts to serve and to be supported. Yeah, just two quick things. Yeah. One, I think um, you should be content in your singleness. If you're discontent and you think dating or marriage is going to fix that, then you're not ready. And then I think the second thing, um, you should be cultivating opposite gender relationships. So if you're like deathly scared to talk to girls, you're probably not ready for dating. So. Um, I think um, I think our our goal is not to date and get married. Our goal is to be sanctified, to be like Christ. So I think that should be the goal, really. Whether you're gonna prepare yourself to date or married or whatever, you may not be called to called to date. You may not be called to be married, but you are called to be sanctified to become more Christ-like. So I think the more important thing is to work on that um, where you are, whether you're dating right now, whether you're single, whether you're married, we're, that's what we should be working on. That should be our preparation for to meet Christ one day. Okay, I'm going to expand on that question. So um, assuming those things, how, like, are there concrete things um, to evaluate and know that you are ready to date? Or what are, like, the red flags um, that you have seen that would cause you to not date? I haven't dated, but I've, I can answer that, I think. Um, <laughs> um, this is just from me talking with other singles um, who want to date. Again, I think dating is good, right? It's a good desire to have. But um, a lot of these guys are like, oh, man, I'm so busy. I'm like, I'm busy with like such and such, or I'm so tired all the time. And um, they, they, they feel like they're so busy right now as a single that they don't have time to you know, spend time in the Word, or they just feel so tired that they don't have time to, um, to cultivate their spiritual life. Um, so I'm not saying this is a quality or not, but I think each of us has to examine um, our own priorities and our own lives and to kind of see if um, we have our priorities straight, if, you know, if, if, we're, if we're able to, even as a guide, to potentially lead someone else in, in their spiritual life, spiritual life um, and just, um, you know, just kind of think that, you know, like, why are you so busy? Are you busy with good things? Are you busy with um, things that maybe aren't as important? Um, yeah, that was just something I kind of thought of. Um. Um, I, I think you uh, have to be stewarding your singleship, your singleness well. I think if you can't do that well, then that's a red flag because you're going to bring that selfishness into your dating relationship. So you need to be able to steward, be able to steward your single, singleness well. And I, I truly believe that ultimately dating should be for the purpose of considering marriage. Um, so if you're not ready for that, if that's not even on your radar, then maybe you're not ready to date. Yeah. Um, if you are not considering, or if you don't even really understand what the purpose of marriage is, or um, why, like what marriage is, why you would want to be married, um, you probably shouldn't be dating because you're just setting yourself up for a lot of temptation. 
uh, without kind of the whole point of this relationship. Um, so consider like Amy was saying earlier, right? The point of life in general, but marriage relationships are that we would be sanctified and look more like God and glorify him more. Um, and that is also true in our singleness. So if we're not already doing those things, adding a whole nother sinner to the equation is not going to magically make that easier or better. Um, so consider where you are spiritually. Um, do you know what marriage is? Do you know why marriage exists? Is that something that you're consider um, that you see as a priority and something to be pursuing? Because if not, you probably should not be dating. Last, last thing to kind of add there is um, we talked about a lot about community. And so you are trying to judge your own readiness for dating. And that can be a very difficult thing to do. Invite community in who can look at your life from an outward perspective. And people who have wise counsel and go, what do you think? What, what, from what you've seen in my life, do you think I'm ready for this? And be open to their, their counsel, their wisdom. And I think you'll gain a lot of better understanding of who you are and what Christ might be doing in your life and then be able to get counsel as to whether or not you're ready. Uh, one thing I also do want to call out is, is sexual sin. Um, you know, that, it's prevalent in society today. I would say if you are struggling with sexual sin and you are not um, taking active measures to deal with it, you are not ready to date. Um, and I would, I would say that very strongly. You should be striving for that in your singleness to be sanctified and, and pure for God in that area. Um, or else you'll bring that in and it will create a lot of temptation and, and potential destruction within the dating relationship. So let's segue into that point. Um, sexual temptation is very real and it's a common struggle. For those who have fallen into sexual temptation within, say, a, a dating uh, relationship, what ramifications should that have upon their relationship? Um, and I, I guess we can even broaden that out for those that are um, just struggling with sexual sin, how should, you know, kind of, uh, how, how should they be thinking about dating, marriage, um, yeah, and whether they should be pursuing? I'll follow up on this since I was just talking about it, and then feel free and add in. Um, you know, I, when I read this question, I broke this out into kind of three elements or, or types of sexual temptation, right? So it's are you struggling before you're dating? Are you struggling it as a couple if you're dating? And then are you struggling as an individual in a dating relationship? So outside of a dating relationship, are you struggling? Inside, are you struggling together? And then individually, are you struggling kind of apart? And I think there are kind of elements to address each one of those in this idea of like, um, what are the ramifications? But I would say, you know, before you're dating, you're gonna bring that in. So be striving for purity. Now, I think it's easy then to go to the other end and go, until I have 100% purity, in, as, as, at least as a guy, in every thought, in every deed, I better not date at all, in which case you will go to heaven single. Um, and that's not a bad thing, um, but, but are we seeing a trajectory towards purity? And I think I would kind of highlight that. Um, together in dating, and then together, and then maybe struggling with sexual temptation, um, as an individual, but in a dating relationship. I think those have two different elements in dating, um, bringing counsel, and it may be worth um, 
separating or, or really considering what that relationship looks like um, in, in that light, and I'll let others chime in on that one. And then uh, a part as well, um, bringing in that counsel as well, and then being vulnerable with that with the person you're dating um, because they need to be aware of, of what might be going on. So that's just high level. I'll let others speak into this more. I'll chime in real quick. Um, there are very few things that I'm pretty adamant about in terms of um, when you should break up, but I do think uh, sexual purity is one of them. Just because it is very hard, especially for guys, to lead and love another when you're enslaved to your sexual desires. And because physical union is such a powerful thing, we do need space to then uh, address and deal with our hearts to grow in godliness and heed the counsel of others. Because when uh, you engage in sexual activity, it clouds everything. Um, and so you just, it's not to say that uh, the relationship will never, that, that once you break it off, you, you'll never end up um, pursuing that person again. It's just that the wise thing to do, I think, to really be able to address your heart is to give yourself meaningful space um, so that you can grow in godliness. Um, I think if you're someone who may be dating someone who is struggling and apart, but in the relationship, um, I think I guess something to think through is like it's not It may or may not be like a like this is a red like a what's that word um, red flag or like it's like a deal breaker a deal breaker. Um, but yeah, like you can also evaluate like how are they fighting this sin? Are they um, you're gonna like what Randy said. It might not be a hundred percent, but are you seeing growth? Are you seeing them really hate the sin and take active measures to fight the sin? Um, do you see repentance and humility to even bring it up to you and share with you when they struggle? And um, I think ways to even care for this person is like um, one, like not acting as like their mom or dad or like their county partner. Hopefully, they have other brothers or sisters that are walking alongside them in this struggle. And so you don't have to be the person to always check in to make sure that they're um, doing okay in this area. And you can allow them to have that trust to share when they are ready to. Um, and also, I think it is also, you can also ask um, occasionally to check in. To, it's obviously something hard, probably something they don't want to easily share with you because they know it's going to hurt you. Um, but even occasionally checking, like, hey, how's it been going? How can I support you? How can I, what can I do to walk alongside you in this? And be that team partner in the struggle to help them fight their sin as well. And so, yeah, some things to think about too. One, one additional thing, I think we can often focus on like sexual sin as like, oh, this is sex in dating or sexual sin in dating. But the underlying reality of, of lust as fundamental root is self-centeredness, right? You are using someone for your own pleasure. And so that's the antithesis of, of any friendship, of any relationship that we are called to biblically, which is to honor and love the other person. And so I think that's why this is such a, a key thing is fundamentally the struggle, yes, is about 
there is a, there is the sexuality, but underlying it is a thread and a, a foundation in your life. If it's a sin that is going on that is unrepentant, where um, you are building habits of self-centeredness, and that will translate into dating. So I just want to like really kind of hone in on that because it, that was something that was helpful for me as I considered how do I think about this lust at its root is you either are manipulating and taking advantage of or you're honoring and loving. And that's literally the choice that you're making as you struggle in this underlying fight of, of lust. And let me just add one last note to, to couch this conversation. Um, it would not surprise me in a room this size that some have fallen into sexual temptation. And um, Christ and his death on the cross is sufficient to forgive and cleanse us of all of our sins, including sexual sin. So the takeaway isn't to be so burdened that you resign to guilt and depression. It's what, what do you do when you're convicted of sin? Do you just, um, in your pride, uh, continue to disobey? Or do you, in humility, seek grace from him? You open up to others for help. You, you strive to um, honor the Lord, right? So it's, uh, again, it, there's a world of a difference between whether this is an isolated, uh, one-time lapse versus if this is a perpetual pattern in your life, right? And so... Um, I do want to say there is grace, that God's grace is sufficient, and um, the church here is a body of people. It's a hospital refuge for us to lean upon one another. So we do want to take the sin seriously, and at the same time, we also want to be serious about God's grace. Anyone else want to chime in? Okay, another common question um, we got was, is it a sin to date, marry an unbeliever? How should we counsel a friend who is currently dating an unbeliever? Or even if we're in that kind of situation, uh, what should we do? I'm talking a lot, so I'm going to resign after this. Um, I, I think I'm going to start with the counseling part first, which is underlying this, this question of, like, if they're dating an unbeliever, is the, the fundamental question of where is their life pointed towards? Who are they uh, pointed towards? And so I would start with the conversation with, assuming that they're a believer, with lordship. If Christ is their Lord and Savior, if they are a believer in Christ— then what does lordship mean to them and where is their walk with him? If they have they call Christ as their Lord and Savior, then everything from their life flows from there, including dating, right? And so you can kind of walk with them through their, like, who is Christ to them? And then be embroiling that in terms of then if he is Lord, then what does he have um, sway over, hold over, and how are you living for him, this friend living for him in each area? And then pulling back out and going, okay, given that's the case, then as you date, probably for marriage, think about every area of your life, and how are you going to do that with someone who has polar uh, opposite uh, views to you in terms of how you are to use this for the glory of God? Because they, their lordship isn't in Christ. And so kind of walking with them through that lordship element, 
assuming they're a believer, would be kind of personally how, how I would kind of start there. I would say at minimum, it's super unwise. Um, if someone came to us and asked to be, that we do their wedding, if it was a believer marrying an unbeliever, we would say we would not do that. Um, we would plead with them not to, and that's what, you know, we've had friends who've done that, and that's what we'd, we'd, we would plead with them and explain very much what Randy said. Um, we, we chose not to go to their wedding. Um, we didn't think that we'd want to support them that way. Um, whether it's sin, that's a tougher one. I, I, the Bible says we're not to be unequally yoked. Um, and I, 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 would argue, I would argue that it, it, it does constitute sin, marrying a non-believer. Dating, I don't know. I don't know if we church discipline someone for that, but marriage, I think, does cross that line. So um, that's my opinion. <laughs> uh, we haven't had a case like that, so I don't, the elders haven't really discussed this thoroughly, but uh, I would lean that way. Yeah, I think it ultimately comes back to this question of purpose, right? So if our purpose in dating is marriage, um, and if marriage is what we basically defined these last, like, several weeks through this series of um, the goal, right, is for us both to look more like Christ at the end of it. Um, like, as a woman, if I would, were to consider, like, how can I submit to a man is he going to be loving and leading me toward Christ? And if he's not a believer, he's not, because he's not under the same authority that I'm submitting myself under initially to Christ, right? So there's going to be a lot of really awkward conversations um, of, well, no, that's like, this is the authority. If the word of God is the authority I'm living under, and there's a different authority that this man is submitting to, then I can't submit to him, right, above Christ. So I can't fulfill my role that the Bible has laid out for me. Or as a man, if they're trying to lead in love and this woman is not under initially the authority of Christ, you guys are going in opposite directions. So the purpose is like, we can't get there. <laughs> We're going different directions. So I think it comes back to a question of, of why. Because I have walked with friends who have um, been in seasons like um, Pastor Jason was talking about um, like this and had to ask them some pretty hard questions. And I think for a, a lot of them, um, they have told me like, oh, I, I really genuinely love this person. Um, and again, like Andy, Randy was saying, it's a question of lordship, right? So um, you can love somebody and it can still not be what's most honoring to God. Um, it cannot be the most loving thing for them. So you might have to um, counsel them um, through realities that will be painful to them because there are consequences to our actions. Um, unfortunately, we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. Um, everything's not always great and happy. Um, but I think the most loving thing to do for them is to say that you guys are going in different directions. And... Yeah, this can't be a marriage that the Bible has described if not if both of you are not submitted to the authority of Scripture. Thanks. One last comment on this topic. I would say... Can I... Oh, go ahead. Okay. Um, I think 
counseling, like how do you counsel a friend? I think practically things to think through or like I think it's not a like one time rebuke, but like a, like multiple conversations to really show that you do care about this and you have like their best interests and you're seeking to love them the way that the word calls you to. And if they're a believer, like pointing them back to truth, um, even if it's hard to hear. But um, yeah, I think it's a, uh, it would practically, I guess it's like uh, continuous conversations and asking hard questions, um, really helping them to see what they are trying to seek from this relationship. Where are they finding their fulfillment? What are they seeing long-term? What are they, um, why are they in this relationship? And really seeking to understand their heart and point out where, um, yeah, like what Mandy was saying, like where are they seeking um, just fulfillment? Who is their lordship and so forth? Okay. Um, one last comment on this is just be very careful, too, of um, making the exception the norm. So I think this question often gets asked because they think, well, I've seen it work out. You know, I know a marriage between uh, an unbeliever and a believer, and eventually the unbeliever um, comes to Christ. And praise God for that. But do not make the exception the norm, because what does God prescribe in his word? It's normative that um, marriages should be equally yoked. And what happens when we assume that, oh, just because it worked out for one person, one couple, it could work out for us, is that we presume upon God's grace when it's not promised in that situation. Um, God was gracious in that situation, but um, we cannot assume that he will be for every unequally yoked relationship. And I think we get this, you know, like um, you might be able to wing a work presentation by not preparing and still pass with flying colors. But you would be foolish if you took that approach every single time. So again, we do not want to presume upon God's grace when it's not promised to us. Actually, can I add one more thing to that? Sure. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we love this topic. I, I, I think I, I've heard examples of this as well. Like It can be a slippery slope, right, where the person who's dating the unbeliever can also be like, I'm evangelizing, right? I want this person to be saved. But um, I don't know if you guys would agree, but I don't think dating needs to be the evangelism part. The evangelism part should come first, where the person should come to faith first. Um, so I think that's something where, sounds like, sounds like the right answer, right? Where you want, you want to evangelize, but it shouldn't be in the dating context. It should just be this person growing first so that by the time you guys start dating or, yeah, dating, that, you know, you can encourage each other and be equally yoked. So. Right. No, that's good. Dating is not an evangelism vehicle. Um, we're going to move on. So uh, we talked a lot about roles in the series. What does um, and, and one thing that people were asking is, what, what should leadership and submission practically look like in dating when the couple is not married? You know, some shared that they find it difficult to discern whether or not a dating relationship's dynamics can translate to a marriage that properly reflects God's intended gender roles. take a stab at this. Um, I, I think a general principle to remember is that uh, your level of intimacy <clears throat> uh, should match your level of commitment. Um, and that's in every area, physical, spiritual, emotional, and I think including the submission leadership 
I think there involves a certain level of intimacy to have that type of relationship, type of dynamic. Um, ultimately, the f ultimate fulfillment of all that is reserved for marriage, and then there's the friendship is kind of a particular level, you know, love your neighbor, and the Bible uses the word neighbor for that. And in between is this whole dating where there's all this grayness, and that's where what level of commitment is there, um, and I think you can pursue more intimacy as well as more leadership and submission within that. Um, I think in general, uh, the guy should set the tone for the relationship and should really uh, lead in communication. I think that's important. Um, it's not to say he has to make every decision. It's not to say she can't initiate or ask. You know, when marriage, sometimes she says, let's go get dinner. It's like, I have to do everything, right? Um, and in, in a dating relationship, that should be true too, right? It, it, sh it should be this kind of um, back and forth. But I think the guy should set the tone, and as the relationship progresses, that can be, there can be involved more intimacy with that and more uh, intimate leadership and, and, and submission. Um, I think dating, too, is like rather than just like trial, like in a way, I guess it is trial, but more so like an evaluation process. Like we are called to love each other as husband and wife or brother and sister. And so in there, just like re your relationship, like just evaluating um, how they interact with you, with those around them. So like, for example, if you're a woman and you're dating a guy, like just seeing how does he demonstrate like humble leadership and sacrificial leadership or like sacrificial care to those around him. And like, how do you, how is he seeking to point you back to Christ? And so I guess, um, just like observing how he just lives his life. If it's, is he like serving his brothers and sisters in church? Is he seeking to care even if it's like not easy or he doesn't necessarily want to? So does he help to stay late and clean up after practice? If he's seeing people stack chairs, are you, is he helping or is he just like, hey, I'm just gonna eat my snacks. Um, I think just observing like this consistency is the person that you're gonna marry. It's not gonna be like, not necessarily like just specific things. So it's like very tangible leadership is important too, but like um, that sacrificial love and leadership is gonna be important just consistently through life. So just observing and like evaluating um, how they care and like can, if they can lead in these ways, then you can, I guess, um, yeah, that's a way to see like what does leadership look like? And I guess, uh, I mean, I haven't had to consider like is this woman marriageable? But um, like, I guess, like, does she like submit joyfully, or is she always like trying to fight against like what her boss asked her? Is she always like not unhappy? Is she always grumbling, or is she serving joyfully and doing things even if it's not necessarily what she wants? And so maybe that's something a guy can speak more to. Yeah, I think that's super helpful, right? Because uh, I think oftentimes we have this caricature of leadership as okay, well, that means. The guy is leading me in a Bible study or, you know, a book study, which can take place, but leadership and love is so much more than what you do with the Bible. You know, is this individual leading in, it, are they taking initiative in asking for forgiveness, in establishing physical boundaries, in um, serving opportunities? So it's not just isolated to, um, you know, what we do with the Bible. It, it's, the, it's a character matter, right? And the same would apply for um, 
being humble and submissive. Anyone else? We're pressed for time, so we'll be winding it down. Um, one other question that I think would be helpful for those that are dating or even thinking through uh, dating um, is this one. What, what are the things we should be thinking through as we consider getting married? How do you know when to get married to your significant other? What would be a wise timeline for dating and engagement? So frankly, you know, I don't think that there's a prescriptive way to answer this question. Um, so I'll just start by saying that whether timelines or like, if you think about these seven things and you check the box and you've talked to them, then you're golden, get married. Um, the way I would encourage at least, or I found helpful for, for myself is um, you're approaching dating. I, I'm gonna make an assumption that you're approaching dating for Christ intentionally with wise counsel. So that's just, that's going to be the automatic assumption and that those inputs are continuously going on and you're, you're actively engaging in those uh, throughout the dating relationship. Um, as you're kind of considering, right, I think it's very easy to take this as a consumer mindset, right? So is this person XYZ? Is this relationship XYZ for me? And what I would encourage, at least what was helpful for me, is um, to break it down and first go like, what, like, the, the you, uh, or me, her, or him, and then us. And I would kind of break this down into those parts. And so, like, for me, it was like, how have I seen this relationship draw me closer to Christ? What am I seeing in my own life that God is revealing through this relationship? And how do I see this person uniquely pushing me towards him? And then that should lead to a bunch of other questions, but all in the line of, like, am I seeing a greater Christ-likeness through this relationship as a trajectory as I've walked along, this per along with this person. That would be separate from the, the them, which you can go, okay, what I've seen from them, and you, I'm sure you have kind of what, what is wise counsel, like what you should be looking for. But it's like, am I seeing them grow more towards Christ in the midst of this? And, and how have I seen um, that, their walk with Christ expand and grow? And so the, the who they are and where, what God's been doing in the relationship there. And then you could be doing really well and they could be doing well, but the relationship could not be good. So then like, and then how am I seeing this relationship uh, better glorifying God and, and driving us towards him? And so, I don't know, that's kind of for me, like as you think about the various buckets of all the things we consider, right? Do we engage well together? Can we serve well together? All this stuff. Is it, can we do it together? How am I seeing it in my own life? How am I seeing it in their life? And how am I seeing it in the we-ness of that? Um, can be helpful just to like break down and, and more carefully consider, um, you know, do, are we seeing a trajectory of growth in this, in this um, uh, relationship towards marriage? In terms of timeline, again, no set rule. Um, for me, I found it helpful to go, you want to see this person in various circumstances and situations. So I, I personally would recommend like a year to really see them in the holidays and seeing them in the summer off work, whatever, you can see that and, and really get a sense of who they are. Um, and usually you can't pretend for that long as well. So you start seeing other stuff. Um, so just, but you're, you're, the goal is to be 
wisely urgent. Um, so with wisdom, be urgent towards making a decision one way or the other. Yeah, just agree with so much of what Randy said. I think things to look for, definitely a love for Christ, growing in Christ, um, a, a genuine humility. Um, I think compatibility is important. I think, um, you know, your, your general life goals and direction, you know, if he wants to be a world missionary and she never wants to leave Torrance, you know, you have to think through that. Um, I think how you spend your time and money, just the families. I mean, these aren't necessarily make or break, but you should definitely consider these things, um, just how you communicate. Um, I think in, in terms of timeline, I would agree. If you've only been dating two weeks, that's not long enough to get married. Um, but I think at your stage of life, I think year, no more than probably two years, you should have a pretty good idea or else you're not dating well, okay? You should be looking at these things and have a pretty good idea. So at your stage of life, you should not be dating. And I'm sorry if you are, five, six years, all right? That's too long. You should have made a decision by now and, and move forward one way or the other, I think. So um, yeah, I don't think dating is necessarily meant to be that long. It's same, same for engagement. I think once you're engaged, it's a blessed season. I tell couples, enjoy this season. But that should also not be five years. You know, That should be kind of, let's plan this wedding and get married. <laughs> Um, and move forward. So. Yeah, I think something to consider too is just like counting the cost to like kind of what, um, like talking through just expectations who you are. Um, I think there's people who are like, hey, we, we get along, we're 100%, like we have no fights, we have great communication. I think you guys are deceiving yourselves. Um, <laughs> we're all sinful people seeking our own like kingdom and our own desires and you're gonna be like conflicting and have differences in the way that you prefer things like maybe one person's more of a saver one person more of a spender or whatever um and counting the cost and recognizing like where these things might be hard um and being realistic with this and they're not necessarily bad things but something to consider that if you commit to this person like these are things that you're marrying as well and um at the end of the day, it's a choice. And um, in dating, you have the freedom to leave. If in marriage, you have to commit and work through those differences. And so um, figuring that out in dating would be important and just being realistic with yourself and realistic with um, who you are dating, take off the rose-colored lenses and um, yeah, be real. The person who asked this question also may be looking for like a specific list of things. So just really quickly, Lighthouse offers pre-engagement counseling, and then there is a really, 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 really long PDI for pre-engagement or for engagement counseling. Um, so go through it. It'll bring up a ton of stuff. Uh, maybe not in your first like few months of dating, but like as you're moving and you're like, oh, maybe we're getting closer to there. Like there is, I think it's like 14, 15 pages. But it's really helpful because it does give, bring up a, bunch, a plethora of topics to consider as you're kind of walking through. So if you're looking for something tangible, those are, are some resources. And then again, I cannot harp on this enough, community. As you're considering, are we, should we get married or not, bring community in because they will help to provide counsel. And you will have people who will say, you've been dating too long. Too long. What's the holdup? And really push you in that, in that way. And so um, we are not dating in isolation.
sorry, I forgot some stuff. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of the question of like, when do you know I should marry this person? I think speaking from a woman's perspective, like, um, can you joyfully submit to this person's uh, leadership. So, um, as you observe him, like, is he humble or is he always insisting on his ways um, forcefully? Is he willing to listen to you? Is he willing to admit when he's wrong? Um, I think these are all great things to consider because this is the person that you're going to, in marriage, be called to submit to. And if you see him submit to God's word um, and humble himself before God's word, then you probably would feel more... Um, at peace and can trust this person and can trust his leadership um, and can be more willing and joyfully submit to this person. All right. Um, we are going to have to bring this Q&A to a close because of time, but there are a few books that um, we do want to recommend. They're in the bulletin there. Uh, the first one is Not Yet Married by Marshall Siegel. And what I like about this book, um, even though it seems like it would be catered towards just dating or for those that are married, is actually deals with singleness. So the first half of this book addresses our laying a, a biblical foundation for singleness, how we should be stewarding this season of life before even considering dating and marriage. So this is one. Um, two other books for those that may be further along. Uh, there's Momentary Marriage by John Piper that can be easily accessed. It's free online. There's a PDF of it. And then uh, Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. He also has a very helpful chapter in that book on singleness and friendship. So um, still applicable even if you're not currently dating. And then obviously the Bible, right? So, um, and that may seem cliche, but uh, really as Christians, we should be dating in a way that is different from the world. There should be something distinct about our relationships. And the reason for that is because our, our authority in life is not our own wisdom or our desires, but the word of God. And so grow in your knowledge of the word, right? Like uh, you might be able to glean wisdom from others, but the, the primary source is the scriptures. And as you get a handle on the word, then it, it equips you to get a handle upon how you are supposed to honor the Lord in these various contexts, whether we're single, dating, or we're in a relationship. Now, even as uh, we close this Q&A, uh, I know we didn't address every single question, so feel free to continue the conversation. This is why we have fellowship group, so that we can learn together, so that we can continue to discuss, struggle, wrestle with these things, and um, encourage one another and keep each other accountable. Um, yeah, so it's not confined just to this Thursday, and because we're concluding our series, that's it. You're on your own. Um, but we are the body of Christ, uh, members of one another, and so really lean into each other. So with that, um, uh, Pastor Jason, can you close our time in a word of prayer, and then we'll turn it over to Allison for announcements. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We're, we, thank, we thank you for the series uh, just to think through dating and singleness and marriage and thank, thankful for Pastor Allen and his leaders uh, just being able to lay just the good foundation, good principles, um, commands, just ideas in this area. And tonight, hopefully, you're able to just put some flesh on these bones, Lord. Help us to think real practically what this 
may look like. And for my brothers and sisters here, I pray that they will continue to steward their singleness well. They will date and, and marry well and wisely. And that all these things may truly continue to be a pointer to a greater intimacy and love that we will all enjoy and experience in heaven and in Christ, Lord. So we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.